confidence isn't that you're trusting that it'll work out. Here, here's what you need to get. Because sometimes when we're insecure, we see confident people and we're like, oh, it's easy for them to be confident because life just works for them. Everything goes smoothly. It's easy for my sister. It's easy for my best friend. It's easy for that random stranger on Instagram. We assume that they have confidence because it's easy for them. The reality is confidence is not that you know it's gonna work out. Confidence is that you trust that you can count on yourself even if it doesn't. Hi. I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hey guys, it's Rachel and welcome to another episode, another conversation. And I have to tell you guys before we get into today's topic, today we're going to be talking about confidence, insecurity, how this shows up in our world. But before we jump into that, I have to tell you about this book that I'm reading that is blowing my mind and that I I literally need you to go buy today. I need you to get it on audio. I need you to grab the copy from your library. I need to, you need to buy it from a bookstore. <sighs> the book is called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. And it is, I'm trying to think if I've ever read or learned something that is that has the potential to fully transform us as humans the way that this does. I, I know, y'all, I know I'm dramatic. I know I am. I know I'm over the top. I know everything's big, 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 but I don't think I'm overstating this. It's so good. It's essentially, he is a therapist. He's been a therapist for, I don't even know, decades. He developed this way of helping his patients overcome trauma and little traumas, big traumas, the whole thing through something he called internal family systems, which is basically how different parts of yourself think, how they interact with each other. If you've ever done inner child work with a therapist or you're curious about that, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like inner child work, but oh, it's literally so good. It's not a big book. It's not hard to understand. I think if you've ever done therapy, it'll probably blow your freaking mind how absolutely intuitive this is and how much it makes sense, but also how nobody teaches us this. And it's really helping. Like it's really helping me because I think like most people, I've sort of grown up or grown into therapy or working on myself with the idea, I think it's called like 
it's a concept of like a mono mind or that you have one mind, essentially that you are one person and that there are parts of that mind that are maybe flawed, that you got to fix yourself, but you're with this one thing. And essentially this work is that you're not one thing, you're many things. And the many different parts of you were developed over the course of your life based on the things that you went through. And essentially you could walk into a situation where you're triggered or you walk into a situation where you get a major anxiety attack or go into a situation where you're super pissed off at your partner. And rather than going like, well, I'm a piece of crap, I couldn't control my temper or, you know, oh, why do I still have this anxiety stuff? Or this is just quote unquote, the way I'm wired. Rather than thinking that, this practice encourages you to go, okay, which version of me is showing up right now? Is this my 10-year-old self that still feels really insecure about abandonment because my dad left when I was 10 and that stuff's still in there? It's basically helping you to figure out why you're reacting to things the way that you are. In the most healing, beautiful, graceful way, like this is not what today's episode's about, but please seriously go grab this book. I cannot recommend it enough. I sent an email out about it to you guys. Like, I just am going to keep talking about it. I already reached out to see if I could get Dr. Schwartz on the podcast. They're like, um, he's booked until 2023. I'm like, oh, come on, man. So if anybody just happens to be on his team or like you're his publicist, we really want him on the show because, oh, God, so good. But in the short term, guys, go grab this book because I really think it's going to be helpful to you. But I'm feeling really good because I've been incorporating some of those practices and there are parts of myself that I definitely did not think I was ever going to get past. I sort of just thought, oh, well, this is going to be a trigger for me forever. And the only way I could think of to deal with that trigger was to avoid it. But that never works because we'll find other things that are sort of like that thing that end up triggering us. And it's just a whole thing. So I've been using these practices and it's really helpful and I'm just feeling really good. So I'm coming into our conversation today feeling surprised at how as much as you have tools and resources, there's just always new information emerging. There's always more out there. There's more we can learn. There's more we can adopt. There's more we can test and try out. There's just always hope for making different parts of our life feel and work better. Which brings us into today's chat about confidence or more specifically insecurity. Now I'll tell you the why behind this episode today. I am going into tour because I've been trying to figure out all the things I'm going to talk about and how on earth I could possibly condense what normally takes me three full days into two hours. I have really been trying to like map out in my mind all the things that feel super essential. I knew that I wanted to talk about realigning with your goals and the vision that you have of your life. And if you've never cast a vision for your life or for your future, then that's what we're going to do when we're together at tour. I knew that I wanted to create experiences where you could network, where you could meet other people who were like-minded. And when I say like-minded, I don't mean people who think and act and vote and love and exist in the world exactly like you do. I mean that you can find people who actually hopefully are not like you, but are equally committed 
to personal development. They're equally committed to becoming a better version of themselves. And when you're both committed to becoming better people, in whatever way that manifests for you, you can encourage each other, you can be each other's hype squad, you can be each other's mastermind and brainstorm buddies. And I knew that that was gonna be a really important part of tour for me. But the thing that I kept coming back to was the idea of how important it is to talk about, dream about, work on confidence. Because you can have a vision for your life, your career, your business, your relationship. You can hope for all these things or start to dream of all these things. But if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have the confidence that you can pull this off, or frankly, if you don't have the confidence that you can at least try to pull this off, it stops you dead in your tracks. And so I knew going into tour that that was going to be a really important element for me to want to have us spend some time in confidence. But to be honest, the more I started thinking of all these things I wanted to teach on and give us a chance to talk about, the more I was like, oh my gosh, like there's literally no way I can fit this into two hours. And if you've ever been with me at a RISE conference, you know, oftentimes I'll go over, right? So the conference will be scheduled from like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. We'll have breaks in between, whatever. There'll be different speakers. But oftentimes I'll have a chunk, a window at the end of each day. So I'll have two hours or maybe three hours. And at conference, if we go over time, like if we say that we're going to end at five and I end up talking and teaching and doing interactions with the audience until 630, nobody cares. In fact, they're pumped. There's a handful of people who are like, I'm going to get a margarita. And I'm like, you do you, sister. But most of the time, people are like, holy crap. You know, she taught for an hour and a half extra that we weren't expecting. And so we just, we got the most out of it. And I can't do that on tour because these are theaters. We have set times that we have to be out by. So I'm like, okay, Rach, you cannot go over. You've got to fit it into two hours, which made me realize, okay, how do I get all the things I want to teach pulled off in one night? The answer for me was, oh, what if I did like a live class before tour that you got as a free gift when you purchased a ticket. So what if I taught an hour plus long live Zoom or whatever for anybody who had purchased their tickets so that we could take a deep dive into confidence before you ever get to the show? Because my thought was, if we're giving you this opportunity to network, if if you're meant to go find your community, you're, you're meant to find other people in your city, your region, who you can utilize, that they can be your circle, but you feel insecure about going up and talking to someone, or you feel unsure about what you could possibly bring to the conversation, right? That, that negative self-talk in the back of our mind likes to tell us all the reasons why this person is going to think we're an idiot if we actually say hi, or this person's going to know that we're an imposter if we have the courage to just walk up and try and make a connection. So I was like, how could I set y'all up as well as possible before you ever get into the room of tour. That was the intention. So if you haven't heard this yet and you've already purchased your ticket to tour, go back to the website, go to rachetalklive.com 
and you'll see a tab on there to upload a proof of purchase. So you can do a JPEG, a screenshot, anything that just shows that you bought your ticket and you upload it onto that page and then you'll get information about our class. The class, the live class is happening September 19th at 11 a.m. And we will have replays for anybody who can't join us live. But essentially, if you have purchased your ticket to tour by September 18th, you can be jumped in. You can get into that class or you can watch it on the replay. But the idea is that we're going to take a deep dive into confidence. If you were part of my coaching community, you've been in classes like this with me before. If you've done digital conferences, you've done stuff with me before. There is no fee. There's no way to buy a ticket to this. There's no way to access it unless you are coming to tour. Or unless you buy a tour ticket, even though you live in like another country and just really want a class on confidence, you do you. Before we get to that, I want to take a step a little bit further back and ask a question on whether or not confidence may be the thing that's standing in between you making progress. You know, you've, I'm sure, seen that slogan or the t-shirts or the bumper stickers that say progress over perfection. And oftentimes we'll blame ourselves or we'll think of all the reasons that we're not where we want to be. But when it's an issue of confidence, it's something we may not see. You may not understand that confidence is what's standing in your way. And it's incredible when you figure that out because there's so many things that you can do to grow your confidence and to practice your confidence. That's what the class is all about. And that's what we're going to talk about when we're on tour. But in the meantime, I thought it might be helpful to look at ways that you might be unconfident or more specifically, look at signs. I tried really hard when I was creating my notes for this podcast to come up with signs of insecurity that might not be obvious. Like if I said to you that, oh, you might be insecure if you're too afraid to go up and talk to a stranger, yeah, that that feels a little bit obvious. That feels like if it's something you struggle with or if it's something your teenager struggles with, you could understand where that's coming from. So my intention with this was to come up with different things, come up with different ways that insecurity manifests that you might not have thought of before, that you might have thought of that as a totally different thing and really haven't aligned it with your insecurity. So this is a podcast for someone who wants to take a deeper dive on that. Or maybe you have a kid, a teenager, a friend that you feel like is struggling with some of these things and the answer being confidence isn't something that has occurred to you. So this podcast episode is six signs that you might be insecure. The first sign that you might be insecure is that you don't even try. You don't even try. The reason I'm starting here is because this one could often be perceived as, oh, my teenager's just lazy. 
or, oh, I'm just unmotivated, or I'm just not into it. You could come up with this whole list of reasons why you don't try and never really associate it with the fact that you're terrified if you do try at anything, you're going to get it wrong. The belief that if you try, you're going to get it wrong, that's insecurity talking. That's that voice in the back of your head that tells you why you're not worth whatever it is you're trying to do. So for instance, in high school, I never, ever tried to put an outfit together. I actually, that's a lie. I remember one time it was a football game. And the only reason I remember this day is because I was invited to go to a football game with some friends. I didn't normally go to football games. And all of the girls were sort of wearing the same outfit. It was like cut off jeans, a t-shirt, slides, and like your hair in two poofs on the side of your head. And it was that time period. I don't know if you guys ever did this. It was that time period where we used to put little stickers in the corner of our eyes. Do you remember that? I had like a puka shell necklace on because I was so cool with like little star stickers in the corner of my eyes. And I remember that I actually put effort in because I had been invited to go to the game with friends and they were dressing up. And I had a picture of that night. Someone had taken a picture of us and I like had it on my bulletin board. And I just remember every time I looked at that picture, I was like, wow, you look so good. I like loved it. But it was so interesting to me because I never tried. I would go to school wearing like baggy clothes, sweatpants, my hair in a bun. A hundred percent, I would have told you that I wasn't trying because like, you know, only vapid girls actually put effort in, you know, that's for the popular girls. That's for the cheerleaders. Like who gives a crap? No. I 100%, 39 years old, looking back at 15-year-old me, it was not. I would have loved to have been someone who knew how to do my hair, my makeup. I would have loved to have been someone whose parents could have afforded clothes that you know didn't come from the Goodwill or didn't come from Costco. I would have loved that. I didn't have it. And so the way that I retaliated was like, I'm not even going to try. Because I was so insecure that if I actually did try and put an outfit together or did try and do my makeup or something, that people would make fun of me. Which in retrospect, like, why would they even care? I don't know. But I definitely didn't try because I was afraid. It's the same reason why there are many of you listening to this conversation who are dreaming of love. You want a romantic partner. You want a fulfilling romantic relationship, but you're petrified to put yourself out there so you don't try. You don't try and you tell yourself it's because, you know, all men are idiots or all women are dramatic or nobody's going to like you because you don't have a good job or you're never going to find anyone who gets you because you're super into anime and like nobody else is into that or you're like really into k-pop or you're really into cosplay and you're like a weirdo and you're not going to find you know what there are people who are flat earthers who are in committed happy relationships there are people who are furries who are living their best life there is a partner and a love for everyone so you telling yourself that you're not going to try because there's no one out there for you is you're not going to try because it is so petrifying to put yourself out there and get rejected. Nobody wants that. 
And here's the beauty of confidence. This is like a big part of what I want to teach on in this class and what I want to teach on at a tour stop is confidence isn't that you're trusting that it'll work out. Here's what you need to get. Because sometimes when we're insecure, we see confident people and we're like, oh, it's easy for them to be confident because life just works for them. Everything goes smoothly. It's easy for my sister. It's easy for my best friend. It's easy for that random stranger on Instagram. We assume that they have confidence because it's easy for them. The reality is confidence is not that you know it's going to work out. Confidence is that you trust that you can count on yourself even if it doesn't. That if you go up to that girl at a bar and you try and make conversation and you get rejected, confidence is that you're cool with it. You're like, okay, not for me. Like, okay, cool. I tried. As a side note, not that we ever, never, ever entertain people who are being sleazy or lame, but can we as a human population acknowledge and honor how hard it is for someone to walk up and make conversation with you? And maybe be a little nicer when that happens. Like I see this happen at bars sometimes. And I know, you know what, ladies? Like I know there are times you're like, I do not need one more man to walk over here and talk to me. That sucks. Or maybe you're a dude and you're like, oh, I don't want this. Whatever it is. But when someone does try and have the courage to talk to a stranger, even if they're not hitting on you, maybe they're just someone making conversation at a coffee shop. Just like take a quick minute and realize that that takes courage. And often our own insecurity in that moment will make us sort of shut down that conversation because we're like, oh my God, a stranger's talking to me. I don't know what to do. But if you can just right now acknowledge that any stranger talking to any stranger in this day and age, like that that's a big deal for someone to work up the courage, even if it's someone you are not interested at all, just like hold space as a human being and be courteous. I've just seen that happen a couple times lately where like kind of a nerdy person goes up to someone at a restaurant or a bar and like tries, you can tell they're trying to like flirt or say hi. And the person that they're trying to do it with has maybe their own idea about the level of who they should attract. And so they just like, rudely shut that person down man that could be your new best friend you don't know who he is like give him I don't know at least a little conversation you came to this bar to meet someone that was a whole side tangent but let's just be kind is my theme today essentially this idea that you don't try and you don't put yourself out there comes from a place of insecurity and so the question I have for you today is when was the last time you tried When was the last time you tried to do something that you didn't know if you could pull off? When was the last time you tried to do something that totally scared you? When was the last time you saw someone and were like, oh my gosh, I wish I had a friend like that. I wish I could talk to someone like that. And you actually just said it to them. How often, can I ask y'all, how often do you see someone and you think a really nice thing about them and you don't say it? I feel like we do this all the time. And if all of us just followed the impulse to give other people the compliments we were thinking about them in our head, imagine what that would do for all of us. 
yesterday, this is so silly, but there is a taco place. I'm embarrassed that my mouth just watered because I just remembered it. There is a taco place that has the best, and I really do mean the best, Baja fish tacos I have ever had outside of Baja, Mexico. They are so good, it hurts my feelings. Like, oh my word. And went there with Boo. We got our favorite. We both got fish tacos. And we just had the nicest, like a hole in the wall. We just had this nice dinner. We were drinking tequila. We were eating tacos. It was such a vibe. They were playing Lauren Hill. We were like here for it all. And on the way out, I was just thinking there was a, a woman who was a chef and she was making all the tacos, whatever. And it is a hole in the wall, but you can tell how much effort they put in. And I was just so happy with my dinner. I was so grateful for this food. I thought it was so good. Every single part of it, the chips, the beans, the tacos, every single part was chef's kiss. And I was watching her joyfully make these tacos. And I was just thinking like, oh, I love her. Thank you for these tacos. And I was walking out and I thought, well, you should tell her. And I walked over to the you know, like the kitchen area to like shout in at her. I was just like, that was so amazing. That was such a blessing. Those tacos were every time we come here, we're just, oh my gosh, thank you. And the way her face lit up, the way her whole countenance changed. Do you think that some, you think your barista doesn't want to know that that was, that cortado was bomb? Do you think that the person making your tacos wouldn't be blessed by that information? And the way that this ties into confidence is when we give other people a boost, it actually gives us a pump up of our own self-worth, right? If you're insecure about yourself, but you're going through the day pumping up other people, that starts to affect you. You're also then hopefully encouraging others in the area that they want confidence in. If every single day that woman's making tacos and everybody is peeing their pants over them and telling her how much they appreciate it and telling her how good it is, that is going to boost her confidence and her ability as a cook. So the first sign that you might be insecure is that you don't even try. And I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you did? The second sign that you might be insecure is that you suck at boundaries. Yes. Yes, people pleasers, I am talking to you. I'm talking to us. You suck at boundaries. A way that you can know if this might be you is that you don't ever say no. You do things all the time that you do not want to do. You you know, sign up to run the bake sale at your kid's school, you volunteer at your church, you agree to host your cousin's baby shower in your backyard. You do things that you absolutely don't want to do, but you don't say no because you don't want to be a bad guy. You really want to stay home this weekend and binge Bridgerton because work's been really intense and you've got some time, but then your college roommate is in town and really wants you to go get dinner with her, right? And you don't want to say yes, but you don't want to be a bad guy. So you say yes anyway. You maybe feel like a doormat. People who don't have boundaries become a doormat. 
they can start to be taken advantage of. People can start to use you. You can start to wonder like, are these people really my friends or they want me here because I always pick up the tab or they want me here because I'll be the sober sister and I'll drive everybody home. Like, why am I in these situations where I don't feel like anyone around me has my best interests at heart or you're, you work for someone who constantly wants you to work overtime and work through the weekends and it never goes away. A sign that you're insecure is that you don't set good boundaries because you're not confident that if you did set boundaries, you would still be able to have the life, the job, the friends that you have right? On some level, you're insecure that if you don't keep showing up in these relationships in exactly this way, then maybe they don't want to be in relationship with you anymore. I heard recently that the number one trait of empathetic people is that they are best at boundaries. And this blew my mind. This blew my mind because I would think that people who are empathetic, meaning that you can put yourself into someone else's shoes and feel empathy for what they're going through, that you would actually suck at boundaries. Because you think, oh, well, they're having a harder time or, oh, you know, they've got these issues and so I need to show up for them in this way. But what they actually found was that having empathy for others and understanding or being able to imagine what they're going through, that those people who are empathetic also had empathy for themselves. And so they wouldn't put themselves into situations where they would be damaged or hurt by going through the process. So if you feel like you're, you suck at boundaries, girl, I know because there are absolutely places in my life that I've struggled with boundaries and I've had to really learn how to put those up, it may be a sign that you're insecure. The third possibly surprising reason that you could be insecure, you're a perfectionist. And this one, maybe perfectionists don't want to hear, but Believing that you have to have everything exactly perfect is something that psychologists call conditional self-esteem, meaning you only really like yourself when life is going your way, or you only really like yourself when you feel like you got it right. And I'm using air quotes here. What's pretty crazy about perfectionists is that they make up the rules of perfection, which is so effing dangerous because perfectionists constantly raise and change their own rules. So, you know, back 10 years ago, their level of perfectionism looked like this. And now it's like, a mountain the size of Everest above where they were. They're constantly moving the goal so that it's impossible that they would ever live up. It's actually pretty rare that a perfectionist feels like they've done everything they needed to do. Maybe they did it and they're like, yeah, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. Believing that your self-worth is based solely on your achievements is wildly dangerous. And the reason it's a sign of insecurity is that confident people don't feel like they have to have it show up exactly in a specific way in order to be good. Perfectionists believe if it doesn't check all 18 boxes, you know, if I did all the things but I didn't do it fast enough or I didn't look good while I was doing it or I didn't get enough praise when it was done, 
they make up all these rules for themselves that are impossible to hit because insecurity tells them that it's never going to be enough. If you have confidence, the perfectionist in you should calm down. It doesn't mean that you're not a high achiever. It doesn't mean that you don't push yourself, that you're not ambitious, that you don't expect a lot from yourself. What confidence means is that you don't inflict emotional and mental pain and stress on yourself because you believe you didn't get it right. So if you are a perfectionist, if you are an Enneagram one, I'm talking to you. And you can ask yourself, do I believe that if I don't show up in a certain way that I won't be allowed to show up? This is your insecurity showing. The fourth sign that you might have some insecurity issues is you're a drama queen. You are a drama queen. And when I say drama queen, I'm going to encompass all kinds of behaviors, things like you gossip about other people, you make fun of other people, you start shit, like nothing's happening, nothing's going on, and you start it. You talk about other people behind their back, you create chaos when none existed, you are a drama queen. Look, this comes from so many different things, and I do want to acknowledge I have known so many people, I have so many people in my family, and I'm sure I've done this at certain points in my life, where you're feeling very uncertain about things being okay, and so you make things bad because at least it's a bad thing that you're in control of. So in my family, my parents, when they were together, always fought always fought, chaos, drama, really not great environment in terms of confrontation. And I remember my sister telling me once that when she got into, like when she was a young adult and she was in her first like real relationship, it might even have been when she finally got married, that when things were calm for too long, she started to feel antsy and she couldn't even put her finger on it, but she would pick a fight with her husband And then when he got upset and when he was all ruffled, she would calm down because there's this thing that happens when we're like, wait, things are too good. Things are too calm. And maybe your whole life, you felt like the other shoe was always dropping. You felt like everything would be good. And then all of a sudden you sort of get knocked sideways by some shocking, horrible thing. If you can create the chaos or the drama yourself, at least now you know what it is and you're not fearing the unknown. Remember in that movie, Signs? Do you guys ever see Signs by M. Night Shyamalan? I'm still scarred. I will be scarred forever from how terrifying that movie was for me to watch. But I remember watching him on an interview later, and he said that he pulled influence from old horror movies, which played off the idea that you never saw the monster. If you go back and watch Signs or you think about Signs, you don't ever really see a good image of the alien until the very end of the movie. And not seeing the alien allows you to come up with some horrible image in your own mind. So you're scared and the music's playing and everything is heightened and you're being manipulated like horror movies do into feeling petrified, but also you can't see what you're scared of. So you're making up the worst case scenario. And if you grew up in an environment that was full of chaos and drama, 
I get it. Sometimes we create drama because at least then we can see the alien. That being said, that still comes from a place of you feeling insecure about what's going on around you. I have uh, someone in my life who is a very unhealthy Enneagram 7, if y'all are familiar with the Enneagram. Um, He is an enthusiast. He loves new stuff and he's constantly trying new things and doing different stuff and he wants the next party, the next friend, the next fill in the blank. And this has really manifested in he can't be alone. He can't have too much time go by without friends around or something happening. And this behavior has led to some pretty severe addiction. And he's clean and he's worked really hard to get to that place. But it's almost like without the drugs, now he creates drama in place of that high that he once got. And it really is from a place of, I'm sure, all kinds of things, but it's this nervousness for him of what it feels like to be alone or what it feels like if things aren't fun or what it feels like if if it's not buzzy and stuff's not happening around him. So if you feel like it's possible that you are being dramatic, that you are potentially creating chaos in your life, if you identify with some of the stuff I've said, Building confidence in yourself, building confidence in your ability to be whole and well and okay, even if you're not in control of what's happening around you, can be really helpful and really healing. I also think this is a pretty powerful one for anyone else who has teenagers because I see this a lot in my teenagers that they will, because I spend a lot of time with my teenagers and their friends. And so I ask, I'm like, what's happening? Tell me the story, whatever. And I'll see this play out in their relationships, their friendship circles, their whatever, where it'll be like, so-and-so is not talking to so-and-so because she's mad at her. I'm like, oh, crazy. What did she do? And then they'll tell me. And I'm like, well, that's, man, that's a pretty dumb reason to be upset with someone. Oh, I know. But, you know, so-and-so loves her drama. I'm like, well, that feels like something we could work on. So if you've got a little drama or a lot of drama, it may be worth asking if what's really at the base of that is some deeper stuff. All right, y'all, we've made it to the fifth sign that you might have some insecurity in your life, and that is you're clingy. You're a stage four clinger. Yep, you are clingy. I absolutely have been clingy in my life And so I can totally identify with this. I am, uh, if you listen to my interview with Katie Hendricks and Guy Hendricks, they talked about this idea of a glomer. You can go back. It's such a good episode. It's about relationships. But they talk about there's like two kinds of people in the world. There's glomers and I think they said cutters. Basically, the idea is that like some people really glom on. They're into physical touch. They want to be around other people. They glom on to the people they love. And then there's the other people who want space. They need time. They need space. They need to get away. And I really identified with this idea of glomming on. Proud glomer over here. But clinginess takes on a whole other level. And maybe you have 
a clingy human in your life. Maybe it's not even you. And to see this as an insecurity will help you to better help them. Uh, A lot of times I think when kids are feeling insecure, when toddlers are feeling insecure, they'll be extra clingy. And if you're a parent and you're exhausted, that can feel like a lot. But if you can understand why they're doing it, it's really helpful in, at least for me, allowing me to feel calmer, allowing me to better figure out a way to navigate the situation instead of just being like, oh, they're just being whiny. So clinginess doesn't just show up in relationships. It also shows up in business. It's the client that you obsess over, oh my gosh, are they not going to keep utilizing me as a client? And so you get really clingy and you start acting in ways or doing things or saying things that actually manifest the exact thing you don't want to happen. In fact, that kind of clinginess response happens a lot. We're so terrified of losing the business. We're so terrified of losing the guy we're dating. We're so terrified of losing the thing that we triple down on how much we're clinging. We try harder. We do more. We send more messages. We send more love notes. We do more and we actually create the exact opposite of what we want. Our energy and our intensity coming from such an unhealthy place begins to push away what we had attracted. A confident person understands that whatever is for them will come for them and whatever is not for them will go, but they're confident and they trust that whatever happens, they're going to be okay. The clinginess, like when we see it in ourselves, I think it just makes, oh, like I think of when I was first dating my boyfriend and I had no idea how to date as a grown-up, I was so clingy, but I was smart enough. This sounds insane, but I was smart enough to like only be clingy in my own mind. Like I didn't ever show that because I was like, I've seen, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've seen enough rom-coms to understand that if I show him how much I want him to be around me, he's never going to come around again because I'm going to come across as a lunatic. So For me, at least I was smart enough to keep those clingy energies in my own mind and kind of talk myself down from it. And I also, in that instance, really leaned into the opposite of what my clinginess was asking for. So the more that my insecurities told me I should cling to him, the more I really worked on doing things that were independent. I was like, oop, I'm going to go too hard on trying to hang out with him again when we just hung out the last three nights in a row. So I'm going to make plans with my girlfriends and I'm going to go out of town this weekend. I'm going to like take myself, you know, out of town this weekend so that I don't even have the opportunity to try and make this relationship my whole life or make this client my whole business. There's so much out there for you guys. There's so much opportunity. There's so much. The world is just abundant. It is. And the clinginess comes from an insecurity that there's not enough, you know, that there's scarcity. If this person goes away, I'll never find another one. So it's a lie that our insecurity tells us. And it's important to understand where it comes from. The sixth sign that you might have some insecurity is that the insecurity begins manifesting in your body. 
So insecurity showing up in your body, in your physicality, in the way that you're feeling. And this can come up in really interesting ways. And the first thing that I thought of is talking too fast. When I think of the people in my life, it's a very short list, but when I think of the people in my life that I feel nervous around or I feel insecure because I'm like, oh, am I cool enough to talk to this person? Am I confident enough? Am I all of these things? I can notice that I start talking faster. I'm so hyper aware of not wanting to take up too much of their time. I'm sure you're really busy. It's like the people in my life that I have business relationships with and they're like really big in business. And I will tell myself that like, oh, they don't have a ton of time. So I've just got to say whatever I need to say as fast as I can, which is crazy because that's not my normal cadence and that's not the way that I interact with other people. So I can note that it's an issue. I also think this can be really detrimental if I go back in the day and I think about when I was in a consultation-based business back when I was a wedding planner so long ago, I would have to go sit down with potential clients and pitch them. So I'd pitch them on why I was a really good wedding planner, why they should hire me for their big day. And if I'm sitting with someone and trying to pitch my business, my product, my idea, and I'm like, and it's this, and it's this, and you know, then we could do, and I'm going really fast. Number one, I'm just not coming across well. I'm not going to be able to explain my business, my points. I'm not going to be able to listen to them, which is one of the best ways that you can become a great salesman is to listen to the customer or the client and find out what they need, right? So if I'm going really fast, I'm not going to be able to do that. Chances are that modality, that's going to make my heart speed up. That's going to make my stomach feel sick. Like all of those things are going to be easily perceived by the person that I'm talking to. And even if they're not conscious of like, oh, he's talking really fast, he must be insecure. They are conscious of the fact that something about this situation on like an instinctual level doesn't make them feel confident right? If you have your own business or if you're trying to land clients or you're trying to get promoted at work and the person you're talking with feels insecure because they're absorbing your insecurity, that could be a major reason why you're not getting where you want to go. So showing up in your body as talking too fast, showing up in your body as bad posture, there's a great TED talk on, you know, the Wonder Woman power pose. We practice this at conference, this idea of taking up space, putting your shoulders back, putting your boobies out, like chest up. This was assuming you have boobies. Chest out, shoulders back, head up. You know, that if you, I want you to practice this right now with me as you're listening. Like, pretend right now that you're your most insecure self. Like, just take a minute. Just, just do this. What happens to your body when you're feeling insecure, when you're feeling unsure, when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling low vibes. If you did that with your body, chances are you crossed your arms, you made yourself smaller, your shoulders came in, you hunched your back, you put your head down, right? That is what happens to animals, humans, all of us when we are feeling uncertain and insecure. And this is what happens to our body when we're feeling those things too. As the flip side, the Wonder Woman power pose, if you watch that TED Talk, 
She tells you to put your shoulders back, put your chest up, head up, head back, the whole thing, right? She tells you to stand with your hands on your hips. And there's research that shows that standing like this for even 90 seconds can make you feel more confident. It's because your body, your nerves, your brain, your feelings are all taking cues from what's happening inside of you physiologically. So if your posture is closed off consistently, it can be a sign that you're insecure. And I can't tell you how many times I found myself in big meetings or, you know, big potential partnerships or I'm talking to someone, you know, that I want it. It's a potential like huge thing for my life. And I'll be conscious of like, oh, my arms are crossed that I'm giving nonverbal cues that I'm closed off or that I'm insecure and just practicing doing the opposite of that can have really profound effects. The third thing I thought about for what happens when we're insecure is that we feel like we need a prop. So this is you going to a party and immediately finding a corner of the room to sit down in. You find a couch, you find a chair, you need to get a drink, you do something, you need to have something in your hands or you need your body to physically have a prop in order to feel like you have the confidence to be there. My daughter has had a a baby that she has carried around, that she got it when she was born and she's carried this baby around ever since. Still to this day, she carries baby everywhere. And the more insecure she's feeling, the more she needs that baby. In fact, I've noticed recently, like, it's beautiful, but also kind of makes me sad that it'll get to be bedtime and we're going to go upstairs. And I'm like, where's baby? And she's like, I don't know. And she has to look for her. That's a sign that Noah is maturing. That's a sign that she's getting more confident in herself because in the past, baby was never more than one foot away from her. So if she can go for hours and not know where baby is, she doesn't need that prop anymore. The last thing that I wanted to talk about as it pertains to your body and insecurity is that insecurity manifests as physical symptoms that really suck. This is where anxiety can come from. This is when we find ourselves overthinking, we obsess about what something's supposed to be or how we're going to show up, or I bet everyone's going to hate me, or I don't know the right thing to wear or do or say, we overthink. This is where insomnia can show up in our lives. There's all sorts of things, you know, our stomach feels sick or we feel tension in our muscles because we're feeling insecure. And when something begins to manifest physically in our body, oh my gosh, it's just, it just sucks. It lowers the quality of life. It makes everything harder. Like everything is already a lot. To have this thing that's now showing up as physical symptoms is a sign that you need to do something different, that you need to get some help or some advice or read a book or learn about this because there are resources and answers. I heard a study recently that said 40% of our level of happiness, like how happy we perceive we are, 40% of that is based on recent events. And I feel like this really resonates for so many of us who maybe can identify a time in our lives where we had more confidence or we were feeling happier because we just had more stuff that was going our way. But it 
then becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, nothing's going my way. So I don't feel very good about life. So I don't really believe in myself. So I don't really try to do anything. And because I don't try to do anything, I don't get any results and no results reinforces the idea that life isn't going my way. And it just repeats, right? This loop forever and ever and ever. And if you're feeling like that, you need to do something to shake the dust off. You need to do something that serves as a catalyst for change. It's why we are going on tour. Like it's why we're trying this experiment and bringing this to different cities and saying like, hey, we're going to show up in regions and cities and towns where we're never been before. And we don't really know if personal development's going to work in this place, but like we're going to show up and have a great time with the people it does. And we've been really gratified and blessed by how many of you have already gotten tickets. And it just reaffirms for me, I think that this idea that the universe placed on my heart was guided and I'm pumped because I think this is going to be a catalyst for so many people. If it's not your jam, if you're not someone who is in one of these cities or not close enough to drive, if you're not the kind of person who wants to go to an event, cool. But please, like, if something I said today sparked a thought in you or you were like, oh, dang, that's me. Y'all, there are so many resources that you can find for free. If you Googled right now, like, how can I gain more confidence? How can I be more confident? You're going to find millions of search results. You're going to find something in the exact modality that you like. You're going to find another podcast. You're going to find a book you can read or a YouTube video you can watch or like, I don't know, someone in your name. Maybe there's like a club in your town where I don't know, but there are going to be options for you if this is not your thing. If it is your thing, if you're like, I have always wanted to do something like this. I have always wanted to come. I'm, or at least like, I'm curious. I don't know if it's for me. I just can't express to you enough how welcoming this environment is. It doesn't mean that we are just going to like hang out and be chill because we are going to learn. I am going to push you. I am going to challenge you to get outside your comfort zone. I am going to challenge you to make connections and meet each other and dream big and all of that stuff. But understand that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people just like you who were also super unsure about doing something like this and then had a life-changing experience. I'm so confident in not like, oh, I'm the greatest speaker in the world. I'm not, that is not where my confidence comes from. My confidence comes from our team, this team of people that have been ride or die with me for years and years, our team and our ability to create experiences that help people make lasting change. That, that is what I am utterly confident in. So it doesn't matter if it's in Birmingham, Alabama or Joliet, Illinois, or just outside of St. Louis. Like it doesn't matter where we're going. I know what we can do. And so I really want to encourage you to just believe in yourself, believe in yourself enough for one night to invest in something like this, because I know the power of these experiences. So if you're curious and you can afford it, like, gosh, don't do anything. Like if you don't have the 50 bucks, like don't buy a ticket. There'll be another thing for you in the future. 
But if you can afford it and the only thing holding you back is you feeling unsure about like, will I be accepted? Will I fit in? Like, oh my gosh, come and have your heart lit on fire. Come and dance to a song, the DJ, come and believe in something bigger than where you're at today. I really hope that you join us. You can find more information at rachetalklive.com and remember that it's not just the tour, but it's also the live class in advance on confidence. So trying to way over deliver for y'all on, on what you'll get out of this experience. And if this one isn't for you, no worries at all. I'll be back real soon with more ideas, more content, more conversations. And until then, I want you to remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.